0: Hello and welcome back to the London Magazine podcast. I'm Jamie Cameron, an editor here at the magazine, and I'm joined by our marketing and editorial guru, Katie Tobin, who you should know well by now. Katie, how are you?
1: I'm very good. And I'm caffeinated after a little break between now and recording our last episode. Perfect.
0: That's what we like to hear. We're also delighted to be joined by Patrick Cash for today's episode. Patrick is a writer based in London whose work has appeared in The London Magazine, as well as Vice, Dazed, Attitude and other publications. He holds a Master's in Creative Writing from Oxford University and has spent three months as a Writer-in-Residence at Shakespeare & Company Paris. He's currently working on a short story collection called Nightlife, but also importantly for this podcast, he works for Arts Council England. We're really looking forward to chatting about his own writing and his work for the Arts Council, and hopefully we can demystify that process a bit for our listeners too. Pat, it's so lovely to have you here. How are you feeling?
2: I'm very good, Jamie. It's really great to be here. Sadly, not caffeinated, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure like I will muddle through. Um, we, we can make it work, I'm sure. Okay.
1: So just to start off with, would you be all right to tell us a little bit about your role at the Arts Council and what it is you do specifically? Sure. So I'm a
2: Relationship Manager in Literature at Arts Council England, and I work in the London team. And um, Arts Council is a national uh, development agency across England, and it covers all art forms that includes music, theatre, dance, libraries, museums, etc. And so literature is one of those art forms. And I look after organisations within the national portfolio. So those are independent publishers. Um, Organisations that are devoted to poetry, like Poetry London, Poems on the Underground, which you might have seen on the um, on the uh, tube, and also I support individual writers to apply for Arts Council England to come into our various grants.
0: So Arts Council England, I think it's one of those things that a lot of our listeners and, and writers have an idea of of who they are, but maybe not until, entirely how they work. Uh, yeah. And you're in a kind of unique position of being both a writer and having now worked for Arts Council England. So can you really give us, you gave us kind of somewhat of an overview there, but where are they based? You said you were in the London team. Yeah. What is their kind of mission statement as it were? How does it all work? Perhaps a kind of step, a step-by-step step process of, of, of how the Arts Council funds artists, institutions, et cetera.
2: Sure. Um, It's quite a big subject. I mean, it really is. You you can can kind of
0: specify that as specific as you would like, because I appreciate that. I'll
2: I'll try and be as succinct as possible. Mm. Um, Or you can
0: monologue for the next 40 minutes if if that that takes your fancy. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. 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 Filibuster it. (laughs) Arts Council England is the biggest funding body in England. Um, But we're currently in a transition period to becoming a national development agency. And that means working with individuals, organisations with different bodies in places, to develop different places across England with the benefits, the considerable benefits of arts and culture. We operate across the country. We have five different areas that our operations are separated into. And so that's London, which is its own area because it's so huge and vast. And there's Mm. so many artists and organisations in London. We have the southeast, we have the southwest, and we have the Midlands and the North. And our main office is in Manchester, but we have offices across the country. How we support arts and culture is we have three main funding programmes, one of which is our national portfolio. Mm-hmm. So that is about 400 organisations that are, oh God, that might be wrong, maybe 900 organisations, <laughs> sorry, that we just give uh, money to on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And that's on a three to four year period. And we've just done our, our last national portfolio so it's just been refreshed and sometimes organizations come out of the portfolio and sometimes new organizations come into the portfolio mm-hmm. um, and then we have um, the ones that would be really interesting to your readers what to your listeners sorry who might be individual like creative practitioners themselves and writers that is national lottery project grants and uh, developing your creative practice mm-hmm. so national lottery project grants is for anybody to come in and with a project that they want funded and it can be in any discipline and but it does have to cohere with our 10-year strategy which is called let's create and so that has like certain outcomes and certain investment principles but developing your creative practice is designed for individuals and lots of individual creative practitioners, like writers, come in for developing your creative practice. You can apply for up to £12,000 and it's anything that might develop your practice to, to a greater height. So we've seen lots of writers coming in. What is called DYCP, there are a lot of acronyms in Arts. <laughs> I can tell
0: it's one of those kind of places where acronyms are around yeah. yeah.
1: Is it specific to, to any stage in your career? Do you have to be an early career writer or are you looking for more established names with sort of a track record of publications?
2: It's open to anybody at any stage of their career. Like we do ask that artists have been graduated for a year and working for a year before they come in rather than like completely um, fresh graduates. But if you've done work during like your undergraduate like, that is outside of university in arts, you can you can apply then because then you have a track record. It. I think if you're coming in really early year and you haven't done that much then you want to emphasize we do we do ask like what's your track record particularly in DYCP you want to emphasise what you've done so far in terms of like taking part in like different organisations, maybe doing voluntary work, maybe writing for magazines, maybe interning that kind of thing. But like, it's particularly beneficial, I think, for like mid mid career artists and established because then you can say your track record. Mm. But it doesn't need to be like huge. You don't, you don't need to like sell yourself. It can just be like a couple of years of work.
0: Mm. So to to kind of maybe focus more specifically on but what you're doing in terms of what literature and London, which mm-hmm. are your two kind of um, specific areas, right? To kind of put a hypothetical situation, let's say I'm one of these writers, you know, fairly early in my career with some publications to my name, what types of funding opportunities would be available to me? There's the developing your creative practice one, which seems to be perhaps most relevant, but what does the process of the application look like? If you Is it something that takes place over a a kind of a yearly funding round like can you kind of break it down as well
2: so like national lottery project grants is open all the time it's our Mm -hmm. rolling program and you can apply at any point dycp is open four times during the year for about a month each time that it's open and you there are certain like, restrictions because it's so competitive and there's so mm. many people coming in. If you've applied twice and been unsuccessful, or if you've applied once and been successful, then you can't apply to the next round. Mm. But then after that, it refreshes and you can apply again. And I would say like with coming in for DYCP, what you really have to think about is like how you're going to develop your craft. Mm. Like If you're a novelist who's written a novel and you want to come in to write another novel... Like, why is that development unless you're doing something that is, say, working in a genre completely different to the one that you were previously working in. If you were coming in, say, as a poet and you wanted to write a novel, then that shows like a big change and that shows like development and that could be a convincing case.
0: So development is that key question. Yeah, there. and what roughly? I mean, I'm really going to make you kind of pluck figures from from your head here, but yeah. as you say, it's very very competitive, right? So what percentage of people applying for that uh, in developing your creative practice grant are successful? Um, generally speaking,
2: yeah. Unfortunately, DYCP is about ten to fifteen percent um, success rate at the moment. But Project Grants is quite a lot more, which I think is quite good, especially because in Project Grants you can apply for a lot more. You can apply for our lowest strand, it's up to 30k, and the success rate is about 33 to 34% in London at the mm. moment. Okay. So you stand like a good third of a chance of getting it.
1: <laughs> so what is it exactly that the Arts Council is looking for when it comes to these funding applications? What criteria, what are the typical pitfalls as well that people tend to face when they apply? Yeah,
2: I'll concentrate on DYCP to begin with because that's probably, as we established, the individual um, grant that is of most interest. Mm. So when you first come in, you get three questions. DYCP is a really simple form. You get three questions. Um, the first one is just telling yourself what you've done. You know, you just you just say like your your bio, um, and then the second one is um, like tell us about your plan. And lots of people come in, and because they're artists and they care very much about their artwork, um, they will tell us all about this wonderful novel that they want to write (laughs) and all the contents of it, and like what's going to happen in the kind of like dystopian future of of the (laughs) landscape. Um, And um, and then, but that, and we love reading that because I love literature and I love knowing about this novel. Mm. But um, it's not. For the, for the structure of the form that's not really what, what we want we want to see a really clear plan and you've got to be as concrete as possible don't be aspirational don't use like we would like to or I hope to or something like that just say this is my plan this is what I'm going to do and bullet point it you know maybe and just say like it's going to be um, two weeks working with a mentor if you're working with a mentor that's great you can go away you can, you can apply for funds to go and research and development um, in another country be it like Ireland or the Caribbean in or um, Europe, but like, don't think that it's like a fun to apply for a holiday because the holidays really shine through, <laughs> you know, and you won't get funded. You've got to be really clear that like this is really going to help my development and really help my project. And yeah, so you you just say the structure of like, a, you know, how many months it's going to be. Break down the months, like how many weeks you're going to do this, how many weeks you're going to do this, how many weeks you're going to do that. Whether you're going to go to the British Library, whether you're going to go mm. to like the Bodleian in Oxford, you know, to do research. How many weeks you're going to to spend on writing itself. And once we see that really clear plan, that really strengthens the application. Then on the third question, like that's where people often fall down. And the third question is like, why is this, um relevant for your practice now, and like why would why would why do you need this development opportunity and so really think about that question because a lot of people come in and they say like oh well i've like i 've just finished a novel i'd like to write another one um, <laughs> and you know that's great that that, that does of course like you 're an artist like that 's what you want to do, mm. you know like we understand that, but we need to see because there's so many applications coming in, we need to see something that 's really convincing, so maybe you 're going to work with a mentor who's like really established and the mentor has a really um, tight schedule and you can only do it right now and this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If that's the case, put it in because that strengthens your application and that makes us feel like, oh, this one needs to get funded now.
0: Is there an extent to which the, um, the plan which you illustrate maybe is not ended up being entirely reflective of how you work? Is there kind of, you have to jump through that hoop of you know, we know a lot of artists and writers who don't necessarily write in the most kind of like strict
2: oh, yeah. plan.
0: Is there a case of you just have to say that you do and make it work for this plan to get funding? Is there like a? Would it be, It's very unlikely for someone to be funded who kind of, you know, starts the application by saying, "Well, I I tend to write with zero plan and see what happens." So <laughs> yeah. That's 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 yeah. yeah. That'll be shooting yourself in the foot entirely, I presume.
2: Yeah, yeah. it would be um, shooting your foot in the. Yeah, uh, shooting yourself in the foot. I was just thinking about that question because, like, actually with the actual writing itself, we don't need to see that... you know in terms of like if you're going to write a novel and a lot of people like to write novels by like sitting down and just starting writing Mm. and seeing what happens and having like a vague idea in their head about what's at the core but then like it just flows you know that's you don't need to explain that to us but you do need to think about like what you're going to do during the funding period because you're asked for a budget as well and so if you're going to come in and get like twelve thousand pounds of dycp you need to break that down and breaking that down of how you're going to spend it actually like coheres really well with having a very uh, detailed plan for that funding period so like if you are going to like work with a mentor if you are going to travel to different places to do research if you're going to get secondary readers that you're going to use on your work as you're creating it then you know break down how much the budget is for each of those people and then how much time that that will require in your plan
1: Mm. feel like it takes a certain skill of accounting to to get arts council funding which i hadn't anticipated but Mm. it's really helpful to know yeah yeah i mean i think it helps i I think before
2: I joined Arts Council, I was applying for Arts Council, and I I got rejected many times, but, like, was successful, like, about three times. And it did, particularly when I was doing theatre shows, we'll talk about this later, but, like, it did help, like, breaking down that budget. And it doesn't need to be really granular. I mean, it helps if it's as granular (laughs) as possible. But, like... Yeah, it doesn't need to be accountancy level, but like just knowing like what you're going to spend when actually, and, and we know that like you this might not be the way that it operates. You know, the best laid plans of mice and men go awry. You know, mm. we're not we're not going to expect it to be rigidly adhered to because you get ninety um, percent of the grant if you're successful. You get ninety percent of the grant to start off with, then you get 10% at the end because you have to fill in an activity report form. And that tells us what went wrong, what not went wrong, sorry, <laughs> um, negative um, Freudian slip. But like, you know, what, what went differently mm. from like what you planned in the first place? Like we don't expect you to rigidly adhere to that plan. But if we see that like, you know, you were going to pay all these mentors and secondary readers and have this research trip and suddenly it's all been paid to you instead, then maybe we would ask some questions.
0: That makes yeah. sense. You you mentioned a like was it the, the ten year plan called let's let's create a value I...
2: Yeah that's our strategy. Yeah, yeah
0: the strategy. So can you talk a bit about how that strategy is reflected in the funding choices? Is is that does that reflect certain targets in terms of diversity and inclusion? Does that reflect is it a political strategy? Who dictates the strategy? How does Arts Council of England relate to kind of government bodies in that sense as well?
2: Okay. Uh, I, I a, appreciate that's a, quite there's there's a, there's a lot. I'll try. Like, I'm really setting you up yeah. for, for failure here, Pat. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll tr- I'll, tr- I'll do my best. It is so. It's, it's our ten-year strategy. It's developed by ourselves, but it gets signed off by our national council, which is led by Sir Nick Serota, and also by the government body that looks after our the arts council that mm. arts council reports to because we're an arms length body. We're not we're not technically part of the government but we are like attached to the the government at arm's length. And that's the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, formerly Digital Culture and Media and Sport (laughs) that has changed, but it's still referred to as DCMS. They love the acronyms, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's those acronyms again. And so Let's Create is about, I mean, it's, it's a huge strategy, but it's about ensure that everyone in England can enjoy the benefits of arts and culture and that our investment enhances that as much as possible. That's to like boil It down to like a a paraphrase. Mm. And we, in DYCP, it isn't explicitly asked how you're going to align with Let's Create. But project grants, if you're coming in for project grants, then you will have to um, explain how you align with Let's Create currently. Because hot off the press, we are changing the Project Grant's form quite soon and simplifying it. So as of November, there will be a new simplified form. And and, and that will just be a lot less writing for people who want to apply. But currently, the form has many questions on Let's Create outcomes. There are free outcomes, which is creative people, how you're going to get people to participate in, in your project, cultural communities, how you're going to engage communities with mm. place-based partnerships and um, meaningful engagement and creative a cultural country, which is about um, cultural collaborations about inter- strengthening international links. If you're doing international work and giving and sustaining careers, and then we have four investment principles, um, which are as you as you asked about, Jamie, inclusivity and relevance, which is about engaging like diverse groups. And you know, one bugbear um, for me in particular <laughs> is when applicants come in and they say we're going to work with diverse communities or underrepresented groups, and they don't s- constitute what. Um, diverse or underrepresented means. So mm. if you are going to work um, with these groups, that's great, but do say like what protected characteristics they are. Mm. And then there are three other investment principles, which are um, environmental responsibility, ambition and quality, and dynamism.
1: Just as a little PSA, I know you said the... The form is changing but yeah. the white pube which isn't a word i thought i'd say on a podcast <laughs> uh, have a wonderful funding library of successful yes. applications it's yeah. really helpful yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think it'll be amazing for people to get inspiration from and see what it is a successful template actually looks like
2: yeah i imagine i imagine it is i'm not sure if i can um, um, put forward that uh, to say yes go and see the white mm. pub like officially from on behalf of arts council I but i do know that they have that funding library and and i think like why wouldn't it be you know helpful to see a successful application before we
0: start to talk a bit about your own uh, writing work as well mm. and maybe you won't be able to give us too much details on this but i would love to hear are there examples of applications where you've people have, have kind of spectacularly Missed the uh, the mark and, and yeah. or either moments where you thought this person has absolutely kind of nailed it on such a specific way and could you give us any details of how either of those sides might look it's without all- without kind of ruining someone's anonymity, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. It's all about specificity you know like be as specific as possible mm. what i was saying about diverse groups underrepresented mm. if you say that like back it up with detail what you mean by diverse is it like people from um uh, ethnic minority heritage is it lgbtqia plus people is it people who identify as disabled or uh, or uh, and and or deaf yeah so think about that put that in and also when you're making statements it's like kind of writing an essay at school or or, mm. or university and and that's not to like say that like people who haven't been university educated shouldn't apply like you know it's there's there's a way of doing it and it's it's quite it's quite simple and it's just like when you make a a statement like we are we are going to do x y and z you know back that up with with detail with statistics if you have them if you're mm. going to work in a certain community like you know what what demographic statistics do you have for this community and also back it up with examples if possible
1: so just as a sort of broader final note, closing our conversation about the about arts funding, I'd like to know how you've seen it change over the past few years, how it's evolved and what trends you see in the future of arts funding.
2: Yeah, I mean... Over the, I mean, the past few years have been quite uh, rocky, I guess, because obviously we've had the pandemic. And I joined Arts Council in 2020, just before we went into the pandemic. <laughs> Around uh, the
1: time of the uh, Fatima is now in cyber campaign. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I, I'm not aware of this. Can you? Can you I'm, I feel like I'm. Yes.
1: Oh, there were posters everywhere So like Fatima. Yeah. Fatima has retrained in cyber, and it was a photo of a ballet dancer now oh, working I in
0: cyber security. Of course, I do yeah. remember that. Yeah. 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 How did that yeah. campaign not? You know? Yeah. I think
2: um, that was not Arts Council. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, no no probably the Department of Work and Pensions I would imagine couldn't possibly comment Mm. and um, yeah I do remember that campaign but yeah so in 2020 and I think like what made me really feel like I'm working for a good organisation that does care and is really like invested in the sector as much as possible was that like when when that the Pandemic happened, and suddenly, of course, individual creative practitioners can't work anymore. All the theatres shut down, all the museums, all the libraries. Um, Arts Council like um, went into its reserves and like um, set up these funds to support people emergency response funds. Mm. And then, of course, there was the Cultural Recovery Fund, which I worked on, which is like 1.5 billion. That's one of the biggest um, investments um, in. Arts and culture that uh, you know England's ever seen to to really like keep those organisations going, and and I think like it's, it's 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 inspiring to be. I know there are a lot of like flaws that people perceive in the Arts Council from an external perspective, mm-hmm. and and I understand why people perceive those flaws. You know, no institution, no public institution is going to be perfect in anybody's mm-hmm. eyes, and but I do think from inside there is like a real passion and will to support um, arts and culture and individuals and organisations as much as possible. And that's why I'm still working for Arts Council nearly four years later.
0: Mm. We'd Love to talk also a bit about um, your creative work now. Um, and you can take us through uh, your story as it were in a sec. Um, obviously, you're in this unique position of being both a writer who has accessed and received funding from from ace is that how we say their acronym or is yeah ace ACE, ACE, is the acronym. Yeah. ace um i mean you also worked for the arts council for the past four years and i always kind of have joked with with friends about the idea of there being writer jobs because obviously the idea of being a full-time writer is, is so yeah you know it's not really viable for for most people so what kind of things have you done before this job what were your kind of most writerly jobs because i always feel like i mean i've been a delivery driver before i enjoyed that one for a bit yeah. obviously you know countless people work in bars or, mm-hmm. or do even yeah. you know work in the civil service or there's all kinds of writer jobs that people do on the side so what what have you done before this and, and how did that fit alongside your your kind of publishing? And publishing your writing too
2: i worked i worked in journalism for a while because i thought like writing like mm-hmm. in journalism supported writing outside and and i st- still do obviously doing some writing yeah. for a london magazine and um, i worked for a nightlife magazine called qx which is in the lgbtqi plus community and then i worked for attitude as a, on a freelance basis but also because you know a um, the average income of a professional writer is about twelve thousand pounds i think mm. at the moment in england um you have to do other jobs to make ends meet even if you're freelancing for media outlets and so I worked part-time for the NHS um, doing a lot of like community-based work do like combining arts and health as much as possible I ran kind of spoken word nights for the LGBTQ community who were uh, might have had problems with substance abuse and that was held in Soho in collaboration with a clinic called 516 Street that does a lot of work for gay men in the area and I did a podcast about because the clinic the hospital I worked for Chelsea and Westminster has a, a very long and and I think I can use this deservedly illustrious um history of supporting gay men with HIV. And like it was at the epicentre of the AIDS epidemic in, in the nineteen eighties. And so I did a podcast about living with HIV and um got many people to come along and, and talk about that and then multiple other, like, community engagement projects. And that was really fulfilling. But working part-time, freelancing outside, you know, it's it's, it's hard to keep it yeah. going. And also, like, you're kind of creating your own paycheck, especially when you're doing theatre, like, and trying to make a theatre career happening happen. And a lot of your income might come in from that. So you feel like you have to do another project the minute the first project's gone. Mm. And then you keep doing projects so quickly, and then it kind of dilutes the work. And mm. also, if you're trying to write, and also trying to produce then suddenly like all your like powers are are, are spread mm. over like multiple different operations so i felt like i needed and myself and my partner also wanted to take like a step in in london and with that freelance part-time lifestyle like doesn't cohere with like taking a step up to get like a nicer flat or like or uh, you know think about like turning 30 and, you know, um, starting to think about, like, oh, how do I become a real person? And think about, like, you know, getting a mortgage and that kind of thing. And so I I looked for jobs that were out there, saw one with Arts Council, and I joined Arts Council, and I work for Arts Council 4.5 days a week. And so I have that half a day off a week to go to the library. Mm. I also try and go on Saturdays. And paradoxically, even though I have less time to work on writing um like i have more time to work on one project to make sure it's of a certain caliber and just like work on it work at it over time i don't Mm. feel that pressure of keep doing project after project you know Mm.
0: it's funny it makes me think of this idea that's that's kind of often discussed in that if you look at certain periods of of british or international history where art has been particularly fertile it's always tied to or often tied to a kind of quite generous doll and like in the 80s and 90s when you could be a musician or a writer Mm. and Unemployment benefit was sufficient to at least not live a glamorous lifestyle by by any means, yeah. but get by in London, and that's such an impossibility now.
1: Thinking that... of uh, Jez from Peep Show, uh, Yeah, Jez, He's twenty years old today. <laughs> Can
0: you imagine Jez applying for arts council funding? I think that would be that's an episode of Peep Show i written right there. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. I think this is outrageous. This is contagious. Should. Yeah. <laughs> should have a bit of a, an ace grunt. Well,
2: I actually saw that episode last night. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, serendipitously. Um, but um, yeah, I think Jez would come in probably in uh, with a very vague application, I, I lacking in specificity, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and probably quite brief, you yeah. know. That's also, you asked about like, some of the worst applications and the worst applications, you know, like, I'm, I don't know if I even should use such an emotive word as worst, but like the, the, the less strong yes, yeah, there we go, yeah, um, yeah, no. applications are the ones that just come in with like, two lines to answer every question and it's like well you've just taken a punt and yeah. you haven't really like yeah. try, like really thought about this mm. at all and so that's you, you're not going to get funded if you don't use the character count
0: makes sense yes yeah. note to super hands and, and yeah, yeah, there, like, exactly
2: yeah prepare,
0: prepare ahead of time so yeah
1: I'd love to know how you ended up with your writing residency in Shakespeare and Company.
2: Yeah, um, well, basically, from going in a number of times and asking, "Can I stay here?" please? <laughs> and, um, Persistence
1: is key, then. Yeah,
2: exactly. I'd moved to Paris after I finished my masters from like some kind of like romantic, whimsical dream of being in Paris, mm. and it was great. But I was working in a pub, an Irish pub, to um, to get by.
1: Very Parisian. Yeah,
2: very Parisian. Right exactly. Yeah, and didn't need too much French, so. That was, <laughs> <laughs> important at the time when I first moved there. And then I I, I knew about Shakespeare and Company and so I went in several times. But they did say, like, no, we don't have space. And for possibly obvious reasons, when they are taking in, like, people that they don't know, they're more accepting of women who go in you know rather than like just like a man who, who they haven't built up a relationship mm. with but then i had a friend who was on my masters who lived in greece well actually in cyprus and she did a residency at atlantis books on santorini and which is a a bookshop that's been set up by people who used to live at shakespeare and company and she said she emailed me and said, like, they're looking for other writers to come along. Would you like to spend August in Santorini? And I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> so um, went over to Santorini, stayed in Atlantis Books. It was amazing. Got up, like, every morning, had breakfast, like, looking at the caldera. Um, wow. Did writing through the day, like, looking after the... Um, uh, the bookshop and um and then you could like run down and like um you know swim in the caldera and come back and have this like beautiful um Greek meal in the evening. Yeah, it was idyllic. Um and then because Atlantis had a connection with Shakespeare and Company, I emailed sylvia whitman who runs shakespeare and company and said i'm coming back to paris would it be possible to tumbleweed there for a couple of weeks and she was like yes of course and so suddenly there's the connection there's the relationship yeah, yeah. and i went for two weeks and ended up being there for three months
0: <laughs> speaking of shakespeare and company I, I um went and watched the before uh, uh sunrise trilogy back to back to back, mm. back in the cinema and in the i realized watching the second one that the bookshop that they re-meet in, in paris is I think it's Shakespeare Company, Yeah. Right? And it made me think, what kind of novels or what kind of novelist do we think that um, Jesse or whatever the name of the, the male character in that series is? Because I guess it's ostensibly romantic, right? Because he's writing mm. about him meeting her in whatever it was, Prague. But equally, I, who's like the kind of modern comparison we can make for the Jesse from Before Sunrise? Any ideas?
1: As in soft boys? Yeah, because <laughs> he boy. is a soft boy,
0: isn't he? I mean, that's essentially mm-hmm. his identity. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Trying to think who springs to mind
2: yeah i haven't seen it you, oh, yeah you i know serious? i know it's bad yeah i don't they yeah. can't see T- slap um, on the wrist, like yeah. i'm slapping my wrist whoever
1: it is he'd be played by timothy chalamet
0: as in in, in, a, in a modern remake yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that that makes me very sad anyway um can you tell us a bit about um your, your writing right now and what you're working on you mentioned nightlife which in a different context earlier is you're also working on a short story collection called Nightlife, I believe. Is that? Yes. Uh, is, yeah. how, how do those two names tie together?
2: Yeah, so I'm working on a short story collection mm. that I did with the well, partly with the London Library Writers Program mm-hmm. that I just just completed as a 22 23 cohort, and so yeah, it's a it's a collection of of short stories that explore. Different characters within like the nightlife economy, like whether it be like a gender non conforming cabaret artist or like a go go boy in Paris and 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 a, a kind of flamboyant man about town in London who suffers a hate, hate crime. And so looking, a lot of it is inspired by my time in journalism in particular. We're working for QX, like the nightlife community magazine, like meeting tons of different people across London who are, identify as LGBTQI plus or queer and are, you know, um, it was it was very inspiring time i think like being particularly because like part of the job was like being out in the evenings like going to the clubs going to the bars going to the um different like cabaret venues and 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 yeah thinking about um how those people operate outside of like our quotidian like daily nine to five Mm. um jobs and, and exploring and it's also i suppose at the risk of sounding pretentious a kind of looking at the unconscious and identity as opposed to like the conscious um formulated identity that we present to the world every day and what's what's underneath that and what 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 do we bring out at night Mm.
0: having having spoken uh, me and katie to tom from scratch books and our last podcast episode which for us was about an hour ago for you guys probably a couple of weeks we've been thinking obviously a lot about short stories as a form and i'm not sure what you thought katie of, of some of the reasons that tom presented for why short stories Um, but I'd certainly be interested to hear you Pat comment upon why a collection of short stories why not a novel because Tom spoke yeah really I think kind of inspiringly about this idea of the short story as its own thing and how we need to stop treating it as this I think he used the phrase kind of deformed little brother who yeah everyone's like oh why short stories I mean even me asking that question is kind of perpetuating that idea but
2: yeah I think Tom has some great um things to say on this subject and great passion as well for the short story um and yeah the short story as as a form like it it's it's something very appealing about it in terms of its succinct nature and 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 the fact that you have like this very developed units at the at the end of your your writing process but i wouldn't say that i'm completely married to the short story i do uh-huh. want to work on a novel but like i had these ideas in my head and i was like okay and these characters in my head and having said that it was loosely inspired by like you know my time on the nightlife you know none of the characters are, are real people mm-hmm. they are they are they are works of my imagination and and i've just wanted to get them written in in a particular way and and i used to work in theatre, you know, I had a couple of plays published and they were both monologue plays. And so they were they had different actors coming out and like delivering the monologue as kind of storytelling to the audience in a kind of spoken word-esque way. Like I've I've done work in spoken word as well. And working on those monologues, like they were all interconnected, but there also there's something about like they're very similar to a short story in that mm. way, and so I wanted to use those skills to think about these characters and and get this collection done. And then, but I thought like it was, as as with many like writing projects, when you take it on, you think like oh, I would take about like maybe six months to do this, <laughs> and like it's like two years later. Yeah. Like, yeah. and It's been a lot of time, yeah. but I, it's been great in developing my craft as well, and developing my writing craft in particular before I start work on a novel.
0: And this collection is funded by uh, developing your creative practice grant, am I right?
2: Yes, I did get a DYCP grant. And I know there might be people out there going like, what, he works to the Arts Council, <laughs> yeah. he got a DYCP grant. But there is like a really robust mechanism in place where like my application will get, because we're a nationwide organisation, it will get sent to somewhere else in the in the country. So mm. generally as far away as possible. So like to the north mm. and it will get assessed there by people that I don't know. And so it's not like I'm coming in and sitting down next to someone sure. who's assessing my uh, application. Yeah application but yeah so i got the dycp and it was to work with a mentor it was to have secondary readers it was to have time to write and it was yeah it's been invaluable like it's, it's been really useful and um, and i also got a, a second grant because if they hear this then um they they'll probably be upset that i haven't mentioned it but it was from society of authors because i've published plays in the past so mm. I, I i got that from society of authors and Cape Blundell trust which has also been really useful
0: I feel like overwhelmingly there's a sense that there are there are all these funding sources out there. You just mm. have to find a way to, to access them whether that's Society of Authors or Ace or whoever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Society
2: of Authors, like you have to publish like one book beforehand, but Ace you can come in and you can you don't have to have published anything.
1: That's really good to know. Mm. Just as a final question, we like to ask our guests what they've been enjoying recently, whether that's an album, film, book, tell us what you've been loving. Hopefully you can add the Before Sunrise trilogy to that at some yeah, point. Oh I God, will yeah. add
2: it, I will add it, yeah. it's. it's but you'd uh, love it, it's the in. most romantic th- okay, and also great. soul-destroying thing <laughs> okay.
0: ever, which is why I like those two things together. <laughs> it's Ethan Hawke? Yeah. Ethan yeah, Hawke yeah, and okay. Judy Delpy, yeah, okay. Richard Linklater, they all, and yeah, it's amazing, sorry. Anyway, great. this is okay. your okay. question. Okay. So I'm I'm you I'm, to...
2: Yeah, I'm going to like, amend the error of my ways over this week. Okay, what I've really been enjoying recently, actually a collection of short stories that I read that I thought was brilliant is Sabah Sam's Nudes. Yeah. I read
1: and that on route to work and I was one of three on the carriage reading it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah. It is like yeah.
2: um, a very popular choice, but deservedly so. I mean, I, I think like it's one of the most enjoyable collections that I've read for some time. And of course there's Blue Forever, which won the BBC Short Story Prize. But the one that particularly sticks in my head is is the girl who's working. And I, I think in my head, it's like the old queen's head on the Essex Road. Yeah, and yeah with, that one. Yeah. Yeah, with the landlord who's like got kind of like stray snake fingers fight? but yeah snakebite. Yeah. i think so yeah and then she gets that that friend who like just like upheaves her life and it's just it's it's a page turner you know but it's also literary and it's like very good quality writing yeah i really enjoyed it
1: i'm seeing her at charleston in october with lauren elkin and tom morris charleston oh, kindly invited us
2: oh great yeah that'd be fantastic
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely no worries. So you can find us at The London Magazine on Instagram, Twitter. I refuse to call it X, Elon. And you can subscribe and pre-order our new issue at our website, thelondonmagazine.org.
0: It's actually worth mentioning that our October-November issue has a review from from Pat himself. So, I mean, this title is Porn and the Erotic. And if that doesn't make you want to read the review, then I don't know what will. Do you fancy kind of giving us a... I call the listeners a quick idea of, of what the review is covering and, and, yeah, it's ideas, vaguely.
2: Yeah, it's it's a review of two books, both by Fitzgeraldo Editions. One is Porn by Polly Barton, which has got a lot of attention recently, and one is Animal Joy by Nua Al-Sadir. That was out, like, actually a while ago, but, like, is, is, a, is a brilliant book. And basically, to cut a, a long review short, which um, <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy reading in the magazine to all those re- uh, listeners out there, Porn is a collection of oral history Histories and interviews that Polly Barton has conducted with her friends, because she feels that no one's talking about this. It's a huge subject, and people just like aren't, aren't referring to it. And it's happening in private, and she feels she needs to bring it into public discourse. And so she's done this by interviewing a, a nineteen uh, people that she knows, and just like really kind of knuckling down on what their opinions are porn and what their mm-hmm. porn watching habits are. And it's 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 a really interesting constellation of viewpoints. And 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 there's there's an interesting difference between like uh, male, female, and other genders in terms of like their opinions. And then El O'Seidear, Animal Joy, is about like finding like it's animal joy within us. Like she, Nuala is a poet and a psychoanalyst, and she sees a lot of people in her psychoanalysis room who are. are you know, ostensibly successful in terms of like their everyday lives and what they've achieved in their career and their relationships, etc. But they're feeling like a lack of just general joy in in society. Um, and she feels she explores the reasons for that lack. And the connection between both books is that they both reference Audrey Lord's The Erotic and how the erotic is something that like we can incorporate into our lives as a, as, a, as a greater means of feeling and sensuality. And it's diametrically opposed to pornography.
0: Thank you very much, Pat. And as someone who has read that review several times, it's a really, really great piece. And it is alongside lots of amazing pieces in this October-November issue, which I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. It's going out in very soon. It may even be out by the time you hear this. Pat, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Katie, thank you as always. And we will see you in the next episode.
2: Thank you very much. And thank you for your wonderful questions.